0: Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, talking with you once again about practical issues related to ministry leadership. Today, I want to talk about leadership perspective. I want to talk about the challenge of balancing the demands of daily life in leadership with the importance of maintaining a long term perspective on what we do. Now, this came to me in a fresh way during my devotional Bible reading recently. I've been reading through the life of Joseph, and when I reached the end of his life in Genesis chapter 50, he made two significant pronouncements. Now, one of these is uh, fairly well-known and commonly talked about, the other one not so much. Joseph said to his brothers, you planned evil against me, God planned it for good. Now, this is so well known that sometimes it even has its own name. People call it the Joseph Principle. And the Joseph Principle is that what often seems painful in the moment, God intends for good in the long run. And as you look back over Joseph's life, uh, you can see this pattern unfolding. He was sold into slavery, um, falsely accused of a crime, imprisoned, Uh, rose to leadership, ultimately was the uh, means by which a deliverance came from great famine, and of course his family was saved. So Joseph looked back over his life and said to his brothers, what you planned, uh, what you did to me was evil, but God brought good out of it. Now that's the first pronouncement and the one that's more commonly talked about and often preached about. But I found the second one to be uh, just as interesting to me. At the very end of Joseph's life, in the end of Genesis 50, he said this, God will certainly come to your aid, speaking to his brothers, and bring you up from this land to the land he swore to give to Abraham. And when God comes to your aid, you are to carry my bones up from here. Joseph was prophesying about a time when the people of Israel would find themselves enslaved in Egypt and would ultimately need to be delivered. Hence the phrase, God will come to your aid. And he said, I'm about to die, but I want you to prepare my body, preserve my burial site in such a way that when you're delivered from Egypt, you will take me with you. In that moment, Joseph was making a pronouncement about a long-term plan based on his understanding of God's promises and of his understanding of what ultimately would work out for his good. Now this second pronouncement has become very significant to me in recent days because it's invigorated me to think more intentionally about what I'm doing every day with a long-term perspective on what really matters. Decisions about leadership must be made based on God's promises and his long-term plans, not just what's expedient in the moment. Now I want to talk about this in a couple of different ways. First of all, I want to talk about it in terms of Uh, What's long-term, meaning what's more than just today, meaning what may last for a week or what may last for a season of ministry. And then I want to talk about leadership perspective from the truly long-term, and that is what makes a difference over a decade or longer that we might do. First, what I'll call this short-term, long-term perspective. Leaders are constantly faced with what I call the tyranny of the urgent. Uh, The loudest voice in a meeting, the most controversial media posts that seem to demand a response, a cluttered inbox full of all kinds of email from all kinds of sources that's uh, demanding some attention. Leaders face these daily demands of leadership. But true leaders understand that they have to set aside the loudest voice, the most controversial media posts, and the cluttered inbox, no matter how loudly they scream, I am your priority. We have to set those aside and do things that truly do make a broader impact and a more long-term impact. Now, as I said, I want to talk about this in uh, terms of a short-term and maybe a season of ministry impact, and then I want to also talk about it in terms of a longer uh, timeline. Let's talk about pastors, first of all. Pastors face daily demands of ministry, particularly, let's say, for example, dealing with people in counseling situations one-on-one who really do need careful attention. Let's suppose you spent time with 10 people this week in that kind of intense ministry engagement, and you did that to the exclusion or the detriment of preparing to preach next Sunday to 100 or 200 or 500 people who are coming to your church. Well, in the moment, those 10 people who occupied your time, they seemed to be the most pressing, and and helping them seemed to be the means by which you could make the greatest impact. But not to the detriment of preparing to preach on Sunday, because on Sunday you're going to take up Dozens, if not hundreds, of hours of people's time listening to what you have to say from the Word of God and, in essence, giving counsel to all of them about their lives. You know, when you think about it, preaching is the most time-intensive thing that a church does. Let's say a church has 200 people in attendance and the sermon lasts for 30 minutes. That's burning up 100 hours of people's time on Sunday and just to hear the message i would dare say there's not anything any church does anywhere that takes a hundred hours of time from its people on a weekly basis like the sunday morning sermon does now i'm not speaking against counseling or against all the other things that pastors do i'm simply saying that to make a decision about how to invest your time for the broadest impact and for the most long-term impact even in a short season of time thinking about a week's duration prioritizing developing time to preach and to preach messages that are really helpful and really beneficial to the large numbers of people who are coming is perhaps more impactful than helping the people one-on-one who seem to be the most hurting and have the most difficulty on a weekly basis. Now again, Pastors have to be compassionate and give some time to helping hurting people. I'm simply advocating for a leadership perspective that helps you understand where your time has to be invested to help the most of the people of your church on a weekly basis. Now, expanding that out to a little longer season, let's talk about something like planning versus doing in terms of, for example, an evangelistic endeavor. Um, The most evangelistically successful activity that most churches do is vacation Bible school. This has been proven over the years. Uh, More baptisms result from vacation Bible school every year than any other single activity that churches do. And so it's important for a church to plan and execute a well-done vacation Bible school that reaches into the community attracts large numbers of uh, non-christian children and uh, connects a church with large numbers of non-christian families uh, that then become themselves the field in which evangelism is done over the months following the vacation bible school and so in order for that to happen there has to be significant time devoted to planning recruiting training and implementing such a strategic and time-consuming evangelistic project Now, you might say, well, I'd rather just go out and visit people and try to win them to faith in Jesus, and every church leader should be visiting people and trying to win them to faith in Jesus. But wise church leaders take a longer view, and they say, well, I could touch five or ten people sharing the gospel with them, uh, perhaps even every week, if I'll spend some time doing perhaps less of that and more time planning an intensive evangelistic effort and the follow-up that will result over the months following a vacation Bible school, for example, then we'll make even a greater evangelistic impact than I would have made by visiting people one-on-one and trying to do it all myself. All I'm simply advocating for here is a balanced perspective where we keep in view that it is all right to set aside planning time and say I can't spend time counseling and I can't spend time meeting with people one on one even for evangelistic visits I can't do all of spend all of my time doing that and none of my time doing the planning, preparation, recruiting, uh, uh, and staffing and and training that's necessary to put put on a truly remarkable evangelistic event or evangelistic uh, program like a Good Vacation Bible School. Now, I've talked about leadership Perspective on a weekly timeline. And now a season of ministry timeline, like, for example, uh, in the spring planning for a summer vacation Bible school. But now let's talk about an even longer timeline, and that's in relationship to something like stewardship development. Um, Pastors that focus on fundraising find themselves always in a crisis needing more money. And they say, well, I need to preach on money, and I need to raise an offering, and we need to receive some cash to take care of this pressing need. And while there are always moments when a church needs to do that, that kind of crisis solution to long-term financial health or long-term financial strength – just simply isn't the right solution. A better solution is to develop a stewardship plan that may take years to fully implement in a church, but pays off with decades of results. Now I've seen this uh, demonstrated in some very clear ways uh, in churches over the generations. Uh, In the Pacific Northwest, there were two churches that while I was the state executive director were our leading cooperative program giving churches in our convention. They weren't the largest churches, but they were the, the strongest giving churches. Both of them had one thing in common, and that is early in their development, either their first or second pastor early in their development they both shared the same person as their pastor and he stayed in those churches long enough to have made a significant impact and one of the things he did in both churches was implemented a stewardship development process now today uh, we would call that a financial freedom process or a uh, uh, or something that might maybe like financial peace or, or, or something like that. There's n- different names for it today, but back in his day, they called it a stewardship development process where he taught people about money management and uh, personal finances and about the importance of saving and investing and giving and living debt-free and also the importance of being regular givers uh, to the church and to its ministry. And both of these churches had this same pastor for a period of time in their church, and they laid down this stewardship development practice. And get this in both churches they actually wrote it into their church bylaws that the church would maintain a stewardship development program as, as part of its process of ministry now by the time i became executive director these churches had been going had been uh, had been going for about 20 years after that key pastor who had been in both places had left each, each, each case, in each case. But in both places, the stewardship development process that he had put into place was still being implemented. Now, it had been adjusted over the years by different pastors with different styles, but they were still obligated to maintain a high-profile commitment to stewardship development. Because of that, these churches, not huge churches, churches with an attendance about two to 300, these churches were economic powerhouses that had all the money they needed for local ministry and plenty to give away for missions now this is an illustration of what i mean pastors who think about their responsibility financially as doing fundraising will always be in a crisis mode but if you take the time to develop stewards and really build that into the dna of your church over a period of two or three years then over the next decade you're going to see the remarkable results that will be achieved through stewardship development so leadership perspective There is always the need to meet some immediate needs. Please understand, there's always some counseling that needs to be done. There's always some evangelistic visitation that needs to be done. And there is frequently some fundraising that needs to be done. But wise leaders recognize that they have to limit the time they invest in meeting immediate needs so that they can invest in the long-term Uh, projects and perspectives that will make a difference over time and whether that's saving priority time to prepare to preach every week because of the impact that a Sunday sermon can make Setting aside priority time for planning key evangelistic events so that you pour large amounts of energy into those for the long term impact of your church, or whether you set aside time to do stewardship development over a two or three year period so that you lay down a track that a church can run on for a decade to ensure its financial viability. No matter uh, which one of these illustrations you need to look at, you can understand the principle, and that is pastoral leaders and church leaders must resist the tyranny of the urgent, take care of immediate needs, yes, but always be leading with a long-term perspective, thinking about what will be effective at the end of this week, what will be effective at the end of this season of ministry, what will be effective at the end of this year or two or three as we try to move forward with strength and vitality. Now, let's also think about this, though, from a truly long-term perspective, and that is Uh, to think about how we deal with issues today and how we make decisions today that will truly have a 10 or even 20 year impact in the ministry that we lead and in the ministry setting we've been assigned. And for some of us including people that are my age, that means thinking about leadership decisions that will even outlast our tenure and in some cases outlast our lifetime and making sure that we're doing things today that will that will contribute to the long-term health of the organization or the church we're leading and not not just what we think is expedient for our particular generation or even for our particular leadership in the moment. Now, to help me do this, gain this kind of leadership perspective, um, I ask ask myself and try to answer some key questions from time to time. The first question is this, uh, what did I do or fail to do 10 years ago that still matters today? What did I do or failed to do 10 years ago that still matters today. Now I can look at this in the positive and the negative. There are some things that I did 10 years ago that are still paying dividends today. There are also some things I did that I did not do 10 years ago that I look back and say, man, I wish I had done a more effective job on that because now I'd be reaping the results of that decision instead of having the need or the shortcoming or the failure that I'm currently experiencing. What do I mean by this? Well, in the seminary's context, there's a couple of things that I did 10 years ago that still make a difference today. Uh, One of those things was hiring some key personnel, making really wise choices that have produced 10 years of effective impact and will produce even more years of effective impact as those persons continue to serve. Uh, When I think about what did I fail to do 10 years ago, um, you know, I I look back and I think, well, I wish I had spent more time 10 years ago uh, developing an even larger donor base so that we would have even stronger financial health uh, today. Now, that doesn't mean we're in a financial crisis or anything like that, but there's always dreams that I'd like to accomplish or more projects I'd like to do or more programs I'd like to launch. And all of those wait in some way or another on the financial resources to make them happen and i sometimes think if i had spent more time 10 years ago building a stronger base then today i'd have more resources to do some of these things that are a part of my dreams for this uh, for this season of ministry so that's what i mean when i say what did i do and what did i fail to do and how does that impact what i'm doing right now now when i ask myself that question then i come back with the an- with the with the answer and that is I will do something today that will matter in 10 years. I will do something today that will matter in 10 years. Now, I can't go back and undo the last 10 years. I I can't fix the mistakes, and I I, I can't duplicate the successes. But what I can do today is ask myself the question or is make a commitment to answering the question by saying, I will do something today that will make a difference in 10 years. And so, for example, as I'm considering um, uh, questions about the seminary, about our curriculum, about our staffing, about our facilities. I don't just think about what will happen this year or what will happen in the years I'm president. I think what will happen 10 years from now, what will happen 15 or even 20 years from now, and how are the decisions I'm making today going to benefit the seminary uh, in that period of time. And this is really practical. I was in a meeting just yesterday in which we considered two very significant issues. And on both of those, we talked about not only how this will impact the seminary now, but we talked about how can we do these things so that 10 years from now, this problem won't be back in our laps again, or we won't have this same difficulty again, or we will have set up the future for even greater success because of the decisions we make today. And so ask yourself the question, what did I do or fail to do 10 years ago that still matters today, and then Make the commitment that today I will do something that will matter in 10 years or 15 or even 20. I'll do something that will matter for the long haul, or I will make my decisions today not just with a short-term view, but with a long-term view as well. A second question that helps me is this. Who was in my life 10 years ago that still matters to me today? Now, like all of us, I'm under a lot of time pressure, just like you are, to invest in certain people and relationships and activities and all of that. But I do that sometimes to the detriment of the relationships of people around me. And I sometimes choose to invest myself in a relationship that seems so important in the moment, but quite frankly, won't even be a part of my life in two or five or ten years, to the neglect of investing in the people who are going to be part of my life in 10 years. So I look back and I say, who was in my life 10 years ago that's still in my life today? Now I recognize that we have no control over death and people can leave us at any time, and so I'm not talking about uh, a guaranteed ironclad investment policy here. But I am saying that I can look back over the past 10 years and see people that were a part of my life that are still a part of my life today, and that tells me that those are the people I need to be investing my relational time in so that I will have relationships that really matter to me. And then I look at who I'm relating to now, and I say, who's likely to be a part of my life in 10 years? well, I'm getting to the end of my professional life. It's going to come probably within this next 10-year window. And I look at that and I say, you know, when I get to the end of that window of time, a lot of the people that I'm running around the country speaking to or that I'm involved with in different capacities today, they're not going to be a part of my life in 10 years. But my wife likely will be. uh, My children likely will be. uh, My grandchildren almost certainly will be. And so, These are the people that I need to be investing in today because 10 years from now, they're still going to be a part of my life. Now, again, as I said earlier in the podcast, we have to balance the importance of urgent uh, demands today with long-term impact, and I get that, but I think every one of us needs to ask this question, who was in my life 10 years ago that still matters today, and then once we get that in our mind make this conclusion, I will invest in relationships that will matter in 10 years. Yes, I'll invest in some relationships that will matter for me for the next 10 weeks or the next 10 months. I I get that. And I will invest in relationships that are a part of this season of my life of ministry leadership. I get that. But the relationships that really are going to matter are the ones that are going to be important to us 10 years from now or even longer And I want to make sure that I'm not neglecting those relationships and neglecting to invest in them at this time in my life. Well, one other question that helps me with this long-term perspective is this. What difficult event happened in my past that benefits me today? What difficult event happened in my past that benefits me today? Now, I've been a ministry leader for a long time. There's a long list of things that have happened in my past that were painful in the moment. But now I look at them and I see how they've benefited me today. They've shaped my character. They've taught me important lessons of leadership. They've given me information that I now share with others to help them avoid the same mistakes. They have changed my perspective spiritually, emotionally, relationally. Painful circumstances in my past have benefited me today. Now, once I reflect on that, then I come to the response to the question about what I'll do today and that is I will embrace today's painful circumstances and trust God to bring good from them you know this is one of the perspectives those leadership that experience and age do bring uh, do bring about and that is when something's happening to me today that's painful or difficult I'm a lot less likely to immediately complain about it or resist it or think somehow uh, it's a bad thing in my life. Now I'm more reflective in understanding that the painful circumstances that God has allowed in my leadership life today will actually benefit me in the future. I look at the past painful circumstances and I see how they benefit me today. So I can look at the current painful circumstances and have a different perspective on them because I believe they will someday benefit me in the future. Well, as I said, I was reading through the life of Joseph when I came to the end of his days and he made two important pronouncements. The one, fairly well known. What you intended for evil, God intended for good. But the second has become even equally important to me. Joseph said, there's coming a day when you're going to be enslaved and God will deliver you. And when that happens, I want you to have me prepared because I want to be taken with you as we leave the land of Egypt. I want you to make decisions about the long term, about based on God's promises and what's going to be needed in the future, not just what's immediately pressing in the moment. And so leadership perspective. It's when we balance the tyranny of the urgent with the importance of a long-term plan and a long-term perspective and decision-making in the moment that's based on a long-term view of how God will use us as leaders. I understand the tyranny of the urgent. Just like you, I have a full inbox. Just like you, I have social media posts that demand response. Just like you, I have loud voices clamoring for my attention. Every one of us faces this kind of tyranny of the urgent, but we all as leaders must have the discipline to say, I will give an appropriate response to the needs of the moment. But I will make leadership decisions with a long-term perspective. I will think about what matters in a week, what matters in a season, what matters in a year, what matters in a decade. And I will make decisions about my leadership life and my personal life based on that perspective. Leadership perspective, it balances the needs of the moment with decision-making based on the long-term well-being of both the organizations we lead and the relationships and the families we're part of. You can learn this balance. It's done by trial and error. It takes years. It can be done. You can do it, and I encourage you to make the effort as you lead on.